visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Hello and welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I am Natalie. So up this hour we have Taiwan Today where I talk to some top tech CEOs from Slovakia about the future of AI. And we have a taste from the live performance scene for you on Live from Taipei. But first join us for Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Friday, November 23rd, and in the studio I have Shirley Lin. Hello. Jake Chen. Hello. And I am Natalie So. Well, tomorrow, Taiwan goes out to vote for 10 referendum topics. We'll be telling you what those topics are. Also, some surprising ways to turn an election campaign around. And what kind of illegal behavior is going around during election season? Those stories and more next. Okay, well, the election is going to be over very soon. So, um, but we've had so much focus on the election mm. and um, some interesting news regarding the election. What are some surprising ways that um, campaigns have been turned around? I think it is fair to say that the election season and the, the weeks and the months prior to that is is full of dramas and different extravagant activities in, in uh, campaign efforts, right? Candidates are trying to do really whatever they can do to solicit vote from the public. That's true. The stakes are high for them, right? Yeah, very, Either very they get voted in or no. <laughs> right. It's high for their careers and it's also high for their parties as well. Right. So um, historically, here are some of the uh, notable uh, activities that people did that, that arguably got them the eventual win. Now, the first one is kneeling down. Uh, this is done by Su Chen-Chang. I think he's currently the DPP candidate for... New Taipei City New Taipei Mayor. City. Right. That's a big city. Uh, he was in tears and he, he, he solicited votes by, by kneeling down, which is... Uh, this was when? This was in 1997, so this is roughly 20 years ago. Oh. Uh, it was uh, seen as the final move that cl- allowed him to clinch the win at the end. Wow. I wonder if he'll use it again right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. today or something. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. Uh, the Song Chou Yu, the, the uh, head of the uh, PLP, the People's, uh, um, People's, People's First, First Party, Party. Right, James Song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He Song. did it twice after that. Uh, many thought he modeled uh, Su for the move. <laughs> but it didn't work for <laughs> him. It didn't work for he him. He didn't get, become president. <laughs> Neither time. So It's got to be like from your heart right you can't right like, i don't know i mean right. well at the right time in the right place in the right way yeah and call me cynical i think from a political candidate it's never from the heart yeah uh, that's true probably. right <laughs> yeah and um things only get wilder from here um going to 2015 in the local elections uh, for among people running for Tai chong candidate uh lin jinxing who was both a candidate uh, and a lawmaker published the medical record of his political opponent saying that oh he's got a very high chance of suffering from stroke again oh that, no stroke is oh, pretty serious goodness. yeah so he thought this was an effective way to to attack his opponent but his opponent eventually won and he was sued although eventually because sort of the whole thing has has no longer has the the traction in media anymore it, the, the case didn't go anywhere no. but still i mean you shouldn't be able to do that as person it, yeah I know. it's a val- information. violation of the doctor's act in, yeah. in taiwan so 
Uh, I mean, I guess he was lucky he wasn't, you know, in jail or anything. Right. Uh, but his political career was was definitely uh, went for a downturn from there. I think the most notable and and, and the most uh, popular one for good or bad was the 2004 presidential election where former President Chen Shui-bian was shot twice. It was a very very controversial incident. Yes. And uh, because just the day before elections, yes. Right. And, and he um, won. He was, I think, behind. In he the was polls. behind by quite a bit actually mm-hmm. at the time by quite a Some few. Some people b- wouldn't say that he staged that. Uh, yeah, 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 that too, yeah. yeah. It is. It is still. Uh, um, a lot of people still believe it wasn't a, a coincidence uh, because he was behind and. Uh, out of respect, I think both the DPP and the KMT uh, at the time stopped their campaigning. That's why the sort of the KMT candidate at the time, who was leading, lost eventually the presidential. James Song, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, James Song eventually lost uh, the the election. So, yeah, a lot of uh, complex move uh, people that that people have been pulling here. <sighs> So, yeah, elections are wild in Taiwan. We're going to tell you some more uh, interesting stories from the elections next. Well, apparently somebody is really tired of all this uh, campaigning business. Tell us about this story, Shirley. Right. Well, there's this candidate who actually was a former policeman, Li Zhongbao. He and his team were like campaigning, and they were just handing out leaflets, really, at a night market. And uh, someone, Mr. Liao, was not pleased with how his dinner was being interrupted. So he got up and kind of hit the uh, candidate in probably in the face or something like that. I don't know. It <laughs> didn't give me the details here. Wait, hit a police officer? That's not no, cool. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I know. That's not cool, right? <laughs> that's not right. So um, basically, when he was being interrogated later, he said that he just felt bad uh, because he just didn't, wasn't happy with the fact that he was interrupted with his dinner. You know, he just was in a bad mood. And he was just 23 years old, but he works for at a, um, a fruit market. And so he just had a long day at work and he was hoping to have a really peaceful dinner. But um, not this he, week. No one's yeah, going to have any peace week. in their neighborhood this week. At so all. What it's happened? so loud. Yeah. Right. He actually, Mr. Liao, actually thought that he was being, that pe- they were handing out like tissue papers or packets of uh, tissues. Ah. And when he realized that, that they were actually leaflets, you know, campaign he leaflets, he got a little upset. <laughs> oh, he was probably disappointed because like, he was no e- freebie? Eating. I'm not just well, taking this commercial yeah. thing, a- advertisement. Actually, he uh, didn't apply for a bodyguard. So after the incident, the police automatically gave him a bodyguard uh-huh. and followed him along wherever he went. <laughs> that this? Yeah. yeah. Well, for those people who don't know, it's really noisy this time of... Uh, you know, I mean, there are people in cars and with these like loudspeakers and s- trying to yell at, I mean, tell you, <laughs> scream at you to tell you to vote for them. And yeah, and I mean, it's just very disturbing, actually. Intrusive, I agree. It's intrusive. Yeah. So I can imagine it while it, maybe it got to a certain point. I mean, even my kids are saying, that's not going to make me want to vote for someone. <laughs> <laughs> even if I could vote, I would not vote for him because he's disturbing me. <laughs> I second that. Good, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, the government is also very concerned about illegal behavior uh, this time around. And uh, what kind of illegal behavior do you think they're concerned about? Like pulling out, you know, their personal medical records. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. Gambling yeah. is a big oh, thing. Gambling. Yeah, oh, right. I, people... I totally forgot. People set up rings for that, right? That's right. Um, mm. Right now, they've already disrupted eight gambling rings since Ooh. November 6th. And they're all focused on the elections, like who's going to win and how much can you 
you know, people are trying to make money off of this exciting time. Oh, yeah. Where people care. And um, I guess it's like a sports event, you know. <laughs> For some people, it really is. You oh, know? it's terrible. And uh, there so far been reports of, of uh, over 4,500 illegal election activities. Two-thirds are invi- uh, involved vote buying. Ooh. That's a lot. Of, yeah. So actually, vote buying is a major yeah. uh, thing in Taiwan. Yeah. So that it's is still happening. And, and of course, a lot of people are saying that um, China and all this is involved in supporting certain candidates. Anyways, so there's a lot of like illegal uh, behavior going around uh, this time of year or this <laughs> when elections are around. But um, I want to uh, let everyone know, if they don't know already, what our um, referendum questions are, because that's a big deal this time. We have some really big issues that we're voting on. Right. Um, Not just like who's going to be your city mayor or city councilor and your neighborhood chief. Um, Do you guys know your neighborhood chief? Uh, Yes, I I do. I actually do. do, yes. Yeah, he's yeah. been the he, sa- in the same I'm position. I'm sure you've seen him around this yeah, time for decades. Of year. Right? <laughs> Has he been waving to you on the streets and stuff? No, mine I, is I, like right in front of my alley every morning now. <laughs> mine is a, a head of a barber shop next to my place, and I, I saw him on a banner. I didn't really like him. I didn't like his barber shop neither. So. Oh, okay. So maybe we're gonna vote for the other person. <laughs> you know, huh? there's no expiration. What do you call it? Oh, they can for, vote for yeah. neighborhood chiefs. My they guy can. has been doing it ever since he's like graduated from high school, and he's old. <laughs> he looks like he's like. You know, it's been on it for 50 years. Yeah, yeah mine's been around time. for decades. You know, the same neighborhood chief. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, this tiny man. Anyway. Anyway, uh, that's one of the things we're doing. We're also voting for 10 questions, mm. um, 10 issues. So, let mm. me tell um, our listeners what these are. Some of them are about the environment. This one is Do you agree that the electricity output of thermal power plants should be lowered by at least 1% per year on average? I mean, I think their basic impetus for that is the uh, sort of the significant drop in air quality since we fire up all the coal-fired oh, right. oh, yeah. yeah. People okay. are concerned. Yeah. No, so one way all to right. prevent pollution um, that some people are saying is this. Of course, the other side is saying you don't need to use this particular way and it may limit this uh, thermal power. Right. Uh-huh. So and a, a related one is um, the next next one is, do you agree that Taiwan should establish an energy policy that undertakes not to construct any new coal-fired power plants or generators or expand existing facilities, mm. including uh, the Sun Al power plant. Yeah. So this is about coal-fired power plants. Yeah. And if we mm. should, like, restrict them from expanding. Um, okay, now one about food products. Do you agree that the government should maintain the ban on imports of agricultural products and food from areas in Japan affected by the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant disaster on March 11, 2011. That's a highly controversial mm. issue for yeah. a long yeah. time. Yeah, so that's five different areas over there. Yeah. The next one is related to marriage, same-sex marriage, and there are quite a few on this issue. I think there are five total. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So this lot. is a big issue. Two, and four, and biggest. three against, I think. Yeah. Um, we have a photo essay about, there was a big parade, you know, over the weekend for people uh, voicing their opinions. Um, Anyways, uh, do you agree that civil code regulations should restrict marriage to being between a man and a woman? And another related question is, do you agree that the Ministry of Education and individual schools should not teach homosexual-related education as detailed under the enforcement rules for the Gender Equality Education Act in elementary and middle-level schools? You know, these are really long questions. You have to be really clear or you're voting what, for what or not. Mean, yes. Right. right. Don't just assume, yes, all they're all yes. Some of them, the way they're worded is 
quite convoluted. Yeah, it's very yeah. Com- complicated. Yeah. You have to know what you're voting for. It seems mm-hmm. like they're aimed at specific articles and specific laws. Oh, yeah. You, you have to so be clear on that. Yeah. Your Chinese has to be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does and it log- happen in English? And logic. Too, uh, yeah. You can take a cheat sheet with you, but you can't leave it there. Right. Yeah. So that's part of right. the, uh, what the CEC said today. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree to t- types of unions other than those stated in the marriage regulations in the civil code to protect the rights of same-sex couples who live together permanently. So this is offering alternative ways besides marriage, okay, alternative types of unions. And let's see, there's another one. Do you agree that the civil code marriage regulation should be used to guarantee the rights of same-sex couples to get married? And also related is, do you agree that gender equality education as defined in the Gender Equality Education Act should be taught at all stages of the national curriculum and that such education should cover courses on emotional education, sex education, and gay and lesbian education. Okay, we have uh, two more. One about energy. Do you agree to abolish Section 1 of the Electricity Act, which states that all nuclear energy-based facilities should cease operations by 2025? That would make us continue this goal of being a nuclear-free place. And another controversial one is that athletes have actually been speaking um, out against is uh, do you agree that Taiwan should apply to participate in all international sporting events, including the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, using the name Taiwan? Uh, We currently use the name Chinese Taipei, and that's the agreement we have with the International Olympic Committee. Yeah. That's kind of testing the waters, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think athletes and, and the government have distanced themselves away from the issue. Right. They, well, yeah. well, no, athletes have spoken out because they don't. They believe that this could um, jeopardize their, their rights to. Right. Uh, they to may be participate. Yeah, not right. included in the Olympics if this goes through. So yeah. they're, wor- also, they're worried about that. They're yeah. not sure. Well, it's also divided among the athletes too. But I guess the majority you know, is the against vast it. majority. Yeah. But um, there are those who says that who. Really, really want to use want Taiwan. To be, yeah, representing Taiwan. Yeah. I think most people relate more to the name Taiwan than Chinese mm-hmm. Taipei. But yeah. anyway, so these are really big issues. And yeah. uh, we'll be voting tomorrow on all these issues. And if you stay tuned to RTI, we'll tell you exactly what happens. But uh, thanks for joining us today on Here in Taiwan. And do stay tuned for Taiwan Today, live from Taipei. And we'll see you at the end of the hour. For Here in Taiwan, I'm Natalie So. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Jake Chen. Classic Shorts, stories from Chinese history and literature. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to get an outlook on AI, or artificial intelligence, and how it will affect our lives. Taiwan is on the forefront of the global tech industry, and recently top CEOs from Slovakia came to find opportunities to work with Taiwan in AI. Today, we'll be talking about their outlook for AI. In the studio, I have with me Rod Loss of Daniel Log, the CEO of Tacum, Adrian Wichita, the managing director of IPM, and Marian Ostick, 
the founder of Brain Trust, an association of top Slavic tech CEOs. Marian tells us first why he thinks Slovakia and Taiwan will make great partners. You know, Taiwan has a, a big expertise in building clusters, very successful and uh, smart clusters. Uh, you are the third in the world in, in that. Taiwan has a great tradition in uh, manufacturing. One of the world's best uh, manufacturing com companies are based here. What uh, we have to offer is uh, what Mr. Daniel, Mr. Rich already mentioned is the Danube Valley. And the context is the Danube Valley is a region between uh, the capitals of uh, Slovakia, uh, Austria, Hungary. And in this region, as mentioned, there are more engineers than there are in the entire Silicon Valley. So there are lots of potential for software development. And this is the strength of, uh, of this region. Mm -hmm. and this is where uh, uh, the projects like Tacium will be enabling these companies to have additional advantages in terms of AI and, and being more smart. And the way where we see the cooperation happening is uh, Taiwan is strong in, in hardware, we are strong in software, and we can help each other. And also in developing these cluster cooperations. What is interesting, Slovakia has very strong expertise in software engineering and the interface and uh, Taiwan in basically design and manufacturing. So for Slovakian company, uh, cooperation brings to building the products that another aspect. And for Taiwan company, getting the software expertise to build higher value products. So we are very complementary, our skills, uh, you know, software versus hardware. And uh, Slovakia is in the heart of the Europe. So this also opens the gateway to other countries for uh, for Taiwan companies. So it's mutually beneficial. Well, that's great. That sounds like a really great opportunity. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing with Takium in terms of how AI, you know, you're going to speed up the progress of, of AI and what do you imagine um, coming from that? I mean, that's very exciting. There are multiple aspects. AI is believed that in next 10 years will be one of the largest contributor to GDP. AI is already helping to improve, for example, efficiency, fuel efficiency from the car, from the airplane. But AI will be combined with IoT, Internet of the Thing. So imagine today, let's take simple thing like light switch, simple few dollar device. Now, if you view that as IoT device, which is just some microphone, which can transfer the whatever communication to the cloud, you can give the Siri class AI or iPhone class AI to simple light switch. You can say, well, turn me light when I will be back, slightly stronger. It can adapt to, uh, you know, the environment around you, the light. You know, you feel bad or, uh, you know, somebody enters after the midnight to the room. It might be potentially threat risk and so on. So suddenly the light switch turns into intelligent device. However, this light switch cannot cost hundred or thousand dollars. It can't. It, it, it has to be very similar price as today. So what will be happening, the light switch will be connected to the data center, to the data center where it's AI and one AI system will be managing thousands of them. That's how the cost will be reduced, but that's how the high level of intelligence can be going to every device. So it actually is a really intelligent device who not only saves the energy, it protect, it calls the police if somebody at 3 a.m. Uh, enter the rooms through the window and, uh, you know, or your grandma has heart attack, it can basically recognize that and basically it turns out to device which is not just the light switch. It's intelligent device which is assisting you in the life. And I believe that 
power of the data center, what we are bringing, reducing cost of that, it make it ubiquitous. So if you buy intelligent switch, it will be instead three dollars will be four dollars, but it will have all this capability, and that capability will reside in data centers because it has to be amortized across many devices. So that's how we believe how together IoT with data center will touch every aspect of our life. Do you think that artificial intelligence means that you know one day computers will be as smart as a human being, comprehensively? Well, a human brain takes many thousand years to change something through the biological process, through the DNA evolution. The AI systems can be evolving in matters of the hours. So uh, there will be point when it reaches similar intelligence as the, as the human being, but what is the difference? It will quickly exceed that because it evolves at much faster rate. So it will be not static system. AI is most powerful technology which humanity basically is trying to harness and we don't know exactly how this will basically progress. Let me give you an answer uh, from the Brain Trust. Uh, we sure. have a, a member here in, in our Brain Trust uh, which is working on this. It's a company called goodai.com and they're building exactly that, an artificial brain. Oh. And uh, today the smartest person in the world has an IQ of 221. That's really high. And the average right. is, is 100. <laughs> and you can mm-hmm. imagine the difference. Mm-hmm. Now imagine something which has, has an IQ of 22 million. It's something which is unimaginable for us, but the rate of uh, improvements of AI systems in the world today uh, is exponential. And even, for example, Sergey Brin, the founder of Google, uh, said he was totally surprised how fast the advancements on the AI front uh, is happening in the world. Uh, the problem is that on the day when the AI is going to reach the capacity of our human brain, the next day it will be multiple times better. And there's also danger because if we don't have good safety systems of how to deal with the AI and have a good uh, way of uh, regulating uh, what it can do and what can it not do, then it's going to be either a big benefit for mankind or a big danger. Maybe I'll add that there are huge benefits of applying AI to all single aspects of our lives. We're starting to see it now, but it's just a very beginning. I don't want to do a science fiction visions here. You already are with your flying cars. Uh, it sounds like science fiction. <laughs> but that's reality. But there are also science. visions which are beyond it. Mm-hmm. And we cannot see that precisely, but we can define it the way which will serve us, which will support humanity. And many brains of the world are working on the projects which are trying to secure humanity through AI rather than other way. What, what was the biggest danger? The biggest danger is, uh, you know, when you look at civilization uh, in throughout history, the smarter civilization is always going to win. For example, when Christopher Columbus came to America, you know what happened to the indigenous uh, uh, tribes there? When Cook came to Australia, you know what happened to the aboriginals? So, and this is always the the case, the more advanced civilization will always win. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is, is artificial uh, intelligence, which is going to be much smarter than us, going to treat us like Elon Musk says, they're going to treat us like uh, like pets, like uh, like a house cat, because we are no danger to them. But they're not alive, right? Uh, you they don't, you, you don't know what, what some, something thinks uh, with an IQ of, of 10 million. It's hard to predict. It's like you talking to an ant about the universe. It, it doesn't have the, the, the concept of, of grasping that. The danger is we will be much more less intelligent than the AI, 
uh, what, for example, Elon Musk says, we can become cyborgs and uh, enhance our capabilities with, with hardware. Maybe IoT, maybe, you know, Miss Danielak invented uh, flash memory. Maybe the, the next generation will be some kind of a USB drive where we increase our capacity of, of uh, intelligence or memory. But who knows? So uh, I would basically bring different aspect. What we already see today, the AI is, is helping people to do better job, mm-hmm. to be smarter and help their lives. And uh, effectively, it's already outmaking our capability. We don't need to rely on our memory to find some place. We can use GPS and, and, and the cell phone. So, you know, it augmented our capability. You know, we can sift through the data in the way which we could not before. So what I, I see more like next few decades will be uh, augmenting uh, everyday pe- people life and making them uh, doing things which they could not before. It, it's kind of like steam engine. It allows people as the tool to basically things which they could not do before. So, you know, I am less pessimistic and dark from the future. What I what I can see in next decades, people capability will be enhanced by the tools which they never had before. You know, more direct communication between machine and, and, and the brain and so on. Today, we see technology where, uh, you know, people who could not see can see now. And now you can imagine if you use that as the gateway to, you know, all this information around us. So I think we have, in next decades, it brings uh, GDP, it improves the life every day for the people, and people will be able to do things which could not even dream a decade ago. That's why it's hard to predict future. But it's very exciting, and you're it's in the heart of exciting. it. It is. Correct. And to be honest, you know, what I like about Tachyon project is, is the case that uh, we have now a danger of the AI race. So multiple big uh, world powers are racing mm-hmm. against who is going to be the first one. It's right. going to be uh, China, Russia, US, China, Israel, right. uh, uh, who knows. But uh, what Tachyon is bringing to the table is uh, the capability for any company to use additional AI training capabilities thanks to Tachyon chip. And uh, it will actually uh, help avoid the ARAs to escalate. Mm. And it's a multinational cooperation. Exactly. Right? It's good for mankind. So let great. me give you a practical example. Before our technology came, uh, people believe that by no, end of next decade, two, three governments will have enough money to build multi-billion dollar system with that capability and it will be military driven. Now... What we have today, today we have data centers like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and many other services. We have more than $100 billion of the servers in commission and working today. And uh, about 70% of the time, they are doing nothing. About $70 billion of equipment is basically idle because it was built for peak demand, not for average demand. So it doesn't turn customers away. And now, because we allow this commercial data center to rent that capability to anybody, to monetize what they already spend the money, suddenly this will be available for anybody. The you know government-grade AI will be available pretty much for anybody because we have the $70 billion of unused resource which may be available to everybody to use it as opposed to only a few billion dollars captured in uh, governments for military purposes. So, so the fact that we use unused capacity make it ubiquitous and prevents that somebody will monopolize that and take advantage against other nations because it will be available everywhere, as opposed to only two, three countries take to harness that and take advantage mm-hmm. of other countries. So it's a big impact. That's wonderful what you're all doing. And uh, so when do we get to see flying cars on the market? 
about two years. About two years. That's if, so exciting. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe maybe just to comment on this because you mentioned the international cooperation. I think it's another aspect of next uh, generation of technology development and everything. Even the big nations are cooperating internationally because there is not enough brains concentrated because it's multi. Uh, subject thing. Uh, it's uh, it's not uh, one subject. AI is not just one uh, AI. Right. And uh, we believe to multinational cooperation. Not only because we are small nation, we smaller than uh, Taiwan, but ta- Taiwan is also uh, not a big nation comparing to their neighborhood. Sure. <laughs> so uh, uh, we ha- we share the same values, and uh, uh, we have advantage to the big nations uh, when we cooperate. We are more dynamic and we we are more open and. Uh, uh, this is why uh, we came here as well to look for the open minds to collaborate on the projects which we found here collaborate on the projects which we bringing here wherever uh, the center of competence will be it will be multinational in our what we believe and as you see we are addressing the main challenges of mankind and uh, slovakia and uh, central and eastern europe is really very dynamic region in uh, new technologies and has advantage of transformation, which is much faster than compared to Western Europe, for example. So we believe that we have a great future, actually, in the world which we just designed here. And I believe that Taiwan shared a very similar uh, trajectory for the next period of time. So we're very glad we were invited here to see the the great uh, infrastructure and uh, development of Taiwan in last decades and meet very inspirative people and uh, we believe that uh, we'll come back with uh, practical projects and practical ideas we will be working on. That was a delegation of top tech CEOs from Slovakia. Rod Lasav Danilak, the CEO of Takium, Andrea Wichital, managing partner of IPM, and Marian Ozduk, the founder of Brain Trust, an association of top Slavic tech CEOs. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Where's my sun? Where's my moon? And how did I get back here so soon? And where the hell am I anyway? Welcome to Live from Taipei. I'm Charlie Starrer. Well, on October the 25th, we held our most recent Story Slam event at the Sappho Live Jazz Club here in Taipei. It was an exciting occasion because two spots were up for grabs in this month's Grand Slam final, which will be happening on Thursday the 29th. And that meant on this occasion we had a few new storytellers taking up the mic. The theme for the month, as voted for by members of our Taipei Story Slam Facebook group, was Where the Hell Am I? This threw up some great tales of adventures, and indeed misadventures, in various parts of the world. This week's storyteller is Bill Strauss from the United States, telling his story of waking up in a strange hospital bed in China's Yellow River heartland. Without further ado then, here's Bill. For Stuart, I'll come round and collect those in just a moment. Uh, But next up, we're very, very excited to have back with us again, all the way from New York. It's Saturday, it's Thursday night, and it's Bill Strauss. 
New York. Okay. Maybe you can tell from the accent. We'll see. Um, but yeah, my story starts um, a year and a half ago when I first came to Taiwan. Um, I came here with a new position, a new job, where I got to manage sales group in Asia. And that first week that I was here, I got a message that I needed to see a customer in China, one of our biggest customers. They were having a big customer complaint, and I had to go visit them. First week I was here, I hadn't even met with our Chinese sales rep that was going to be you know, one of my reports. So uh, this customer happened to be in the city of Linzhou. Anyone know where Linzhou is? Okay, no? Okay, Linzhou is somewhere in Henan province. Anyone know what the capital of Henan province is? Oh, very good, bingo. Okay, Zhengzhou, right? Well, I, I had no clue where it was, but I knew that I had to fly there in order to get to Linzhou. So um, one week in, I get a flight to Guangzhou, transfer there to Zhengzhou. And in Guangzhou, I was gonna meet our sales rep who was gonna take me on the plane to Zhengzhou. Well, on the plane to uh, Guangzhou, I put my laptop in that little kind of pouch that's in front of the seat. And of course, we had like about five minutes to make the connection. And wouldn't you know, I left my laptop in the plane. So I'm running to, uh, to meet my connection. I get there, I meet my sales rep, Jason, for the very first time. And the first thing I say to him is, I left my laptop. I left my laptop in the plane, what can you do for me? So he's on the phone talking, and I'm like really nervous and upset, and you know, here's my laptop, my first week on the job, and I left it there, and here's my new sales rep. So he does a great job of finding the laptop, making sure that it gets delivered to our distributor in Guangzhou, and we're on our plane to Zhengzhou. And I'm not feeling too well. I think I was just really stressed out about that laptop. I'm not feeling great. We get to Zhengzhou, uh, we get to our hotel where we're gonna stay the night and then hit the customer first thing in the morning. And we check in and Jason says, are you hungry? And I said, well, I'm not feeling so well. Maybe I can grab something, you know, some room service. Of course, we're staying in the Zhengzhou International Hotel where no one speaks English, and I get to take a look at the uh, room service menu. Have you guys ever seen the room service menu in those places? Really interesting English translation, like magic chicken nest deliciousness, and you know, steamed crap, where they were supposed to say carp, but it said steamed crap. So I stayed away from the, uh, stayed away from the uh, room service menu, ate a candy bar, and I was still not feeling really well. And after about an hour, I felt this pain on my side, and it started getting stronger and stronger. So of course, the first thing I do is I Google pain on the right side, pain on the left side, sorry, because I thought it was appendicitis or gallbladder or something, but of course, that's on the right side, and I'm feeling it on the left side. So it's not that, and the pain is getting stronger and stronger, and fortunately, I had some Advil, I took some Advil, getting stronger, I go in the shower, you know, it feels better for a short while, and then it comes back, by one o'clock in the morning, I am in excruciating pain. I figure the only thing I can do is call Jason, but of course, I don't know what hotel room he's, I don't know what room he's in. And, you know, navigating my Taiwanese cell phone to call him in China was difficult. So finally, I send him an email, which amazingly enough, he answers, and he comes to my room, and I tell him, I am in so much pain. And he took one look at me and he said, we are going to the hospital. 
Now, you know how excited I was being in Zhengzhou, China, going to the hospital. So we end up in Henan Province, Henan Province People's Emergency Room, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, we get in there and we go to the reception and Jason is really good, he's helping me through and I'm just in excruciating pain, more pain than I've ever felt in my entire life. And here I am with the sales rep who I'd never been with before and this is the impression I'm making but I really don't care because the only thing I care about is the excruciating pain that I'm in. Well, we get the blood test and we get the sonogram and I am... I am crying and I am screaming and I'm even throwing up from all this pain. We go and we sit with the doctor who then takes a look at the sonogram and he says, you have a kidney stone. And the first thing I say is, give me something for the pain. And he says, well, what do you, you know, he's talking to Jason and he says, well, I think we need to take this out of you. And I'm saying, no, give me something for the pain now. And you know, crazy American. So next thing I know, Jason is taking me upstairs and in a room with a bed. And there's a nurse there. And she says, pull down your pants. And I pulled down my pants. And they gave me a shot right here. And the next thing I know is I wake up in this room thinking, where the hell am I? And where am I? I'm in a room with about 12 other beds. And there's Jason looking at me with a big smile on his face. And I'm attached to IVs. And it's like four or five hours later. And the best thing is, I felt no pain. No pain. But everyone around me, okay, so there was a guy next to me who's coughing and throwing up into the bucket next to him. And across the way, there's a guy who is hardly dressed, an old guy who's moaning in pain. And I'm thinking, okay, I feel no pain. I really want to get out of here. And Jason looks at me and he says, okay, we've got three choices now. Okay, you can stay here and get the kidney stone out. I said, no, that's not happening. Choice number two is, okay, we have a flight out tonight. You can go and get on that, we can go to the airport and just hang out at the airport for 12 hours and then you can get on your flight. Didn't sound so appealing. The third choice was, of course, hey, let's just get in a taxi and go visit the customer and deal with the problem and then I'll bring you back to the airport, which is, of course, what he wanted to do because it's his customer. And I, what's the first thing I ask? I said, how long are these pain meds going to last? And he said, well, the doctor said 24 hours. So I said, well, okay, let's go visit the customer. We go back to the hotel, pick up my stuff, take the three-hour taxi ride to Linjo, and I will tell you what the biggest upside of this story is, is when we got to the customer, who was incredibly off about this customer complaint, we start out by telling him the story of my kidney stone. Better yet, Jason had pictures of me, both in pain and lying in the bed with the IV. So of course, that took the whole edge off the customer complaint. We got out of there dealing with the problem. And now, um, now whenever I go back to Zhengzhou, which I've been to like three or four times, I will always remember that this is where the hell am I. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much to Bill, everyone. Another round of applause there. Where the hell am I anyway? 
Bill Strauss from the United States told his story of Where the Hell Am I? at the Sappho Live Jazz Club in Taipei on October the 25th, 2018. This is Radio Taiwan International. Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Taiwan's APEC envoy Morris Zhang has returned to Taiwan after attending the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, summit in Papua New Guinea last week. The retired founder of chipmaker TSMC said, he has successfully completed the mission given to him by President Tsai Ing-wen. During his trip, Zhang held a 20-minute talk with the U.S. Vice President Mike Pence. He told Pence that Taiwan is interested in holding negotiations with the U.S. about signing a free trade agreement. Taiwan's foreign ministry said the meeting will help strengthen regional connections in inclusive growth and digital development. Zhang also held talks with Prime Minister Li Xianlong of Singapore and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe of Japan. Abe thanked Taiwan for offering assistance following natural disasters, called for closer cooperation, and suggested that the two sides across the Taiwan Strait hold the direct talks to maintain regional peace. Zhang also had what he called friendly and candid interactions with leaders from other member countries, including President Xi Jinping of China. The theme of this year's APEC was harnessing inclusive opportunities, embracing the digital future. However, leaders from the 21 APEC economies failed to sign a joint statement amid the deep divisions between Washington and Beijing over trade and investment. Taiwan's head of state has been barred from attending APEC summit meetings due to pressure from China. Back in 2006, Zhang also attended that year's summit in Vietnam, representing then-President Chen Shui-bian. Zhang founded TSMC, or Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, in 1987. The company has since grown to the largest independent semiconductor foundry in the world. Zhang, aged 87, retired in June after 31 years at the helm. Under his leadership, TSMC's wafer manufacturing services changed the structure of the supply chain of the world's semiconductor industry. They also promoted the integrated circuit or IT industry. Without TSMC, Zhang once said smartphones wouldn't have hit the market as soon as they did. Thank you for listening to our programs here today at Radio Taiwan International. I'm Natalie So, back here with Shirley Lin and Jake Chen. And we're going to leave you with one more thing. Well, there's this uh, Taiwanese guy who gave up a pretty good job to do something very unique. Um, not many people do this. 
He was actually an engineer, computer engineer, and he gave up his job to cycle to a hundred countries around、oh. the world, and that's what he's doing. He's、okay. doing that just now. He started doing this in 2015. He embarked from Alaska, of all places, and he traveled along the Americas. Wow, Americas! That's a lot. North, <laughs> Central, Southern. <laughs> that's like Mexico, U.S., and Canada yeah, all, I mean, all in that, one shot. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the America covers everything. I mean, not everything. So many countries. Like, right? Countries, yeah. 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 Region. Then he went out to Europe. So he's actually in Europe now. Yeah, we saw a picture of him、uh, in Venice and Denmark. Would this be something you want to do, if you could? So wait, absolutely. Is, is he、yeah. is he doing it by himself? He's doing it all by himself. He's a thirty nine year old、um, electronics engineer from Taipei, and、uh, so he set out three years ago, and he wants to finish by twenty twenty. His goal is a hundred countries and a hundred thousand kilometers. So he's about ha- halfway there. So is there a reason why he's doing this, or is just a goal that he set for himself? Out of his、uh, joie de vivre, right? His love for life. <laughs> love for life. Yeah, he said he got inspiration from the book "Don't Go or Die," written by a Japanese author Ishida Yuseke. Oh, that、okay. sounds really depressing. I mean, don't tight, go tight, or die. I must、go. be telling you to do something you really want to、right. do. I don't、right. have any、okay. regrets. I'm just waiting to die. Yeah, I, mean, I guess the, we the, haven't, you know. The wording's a bit strange. Yeah, but he, you know, he's he loves what he's doing. I mean, he's had a lot of、um, challenges on the way, such as sleeping with coyotes in、what? Alaska. Wow. Okay. That's scary. He started off in Alaska. Yeah. Sleeping with coyotes. Um, having his bike stolen in Canada. Oh no! Unfortunately,、so、I had, had that experience.、One. Yeah,、oh. multiple times、uh, in、oh, Canada. Multiple times.、Yeah. You、Sad. locked it. You locked your bike, and it still gets stolen. And it still got stolen, like at least five times during <gasps>、oh, university. Oh my gosh! What?、Yeah. Terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. That must、wow. be hard for him. I mean, he must have picked a nice bike, right? <laughs> yeah, I fell across. <laughs> um, he lost his baggage in Mexico. Oh. Mm. He had to buy all new clothes and everything, huh? Yeah, Mexico isn't terribly、yeah. safe neither. So I'm glad、yeah. he made it out there. Yeah. yeah. He encountered persistent snow in Turkey, but he said he's never thought of giving up because、um, after every hardship, there's always new possibilities. And he says his perception of life is much more positive now. He thinks that there's nothing you cannot accomplish. So、um, he has really enjoyed、uh, making a lot of friends. Having a lot of unforgettable experiences, and most of all, seeing his own attitude and perspective towards life change. I think we should check him out. Well, his name is Jackie Chen. Not the so, Jackie Chan. Not the Jackie Chan. That's Jackie Chan. C A G N Chen. Okay. Might want to check it out. Chen Junyong. But、uh, is there any th- crazy thing you guys would like to do if you could? Well, let me just say that、um, I met this couple. Who、um, decide not to have any children because this is what they want to do. They've been doing this for twenty years. They've traveled to seventy, eighty different countries so far already. And what they do is they send a message out that they're willing to house it, anybody's house, or pets it for free, because they're offering, you know, them this couple a free place to stay. So they're free. So the only thing that they spend money on is just. Airfare,、oh, and they get so many people、food. to host them.、Yeah. Yes, that's amazing. So they were just here in Taiwan for three months、uh-huh. because they were offered a place to stay. Yeah, they, they loved it. They must look like a nice couple. Now trust them、mm. with their house. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tracking them now. They're in Tahiti. 
cool. So cool. I don't know where they're well, gonna I go guess, next. I mean, I guess traveling around the world, I, I think it would be kind of cool. I wouldn't want to do it on my own. No. If I were him, I'd want to do it with somebody, like yeah. my husband or something. Same here. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it sounds like a really adventurous and fun thing to do, except for the coyotes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, that's all we have for you today on Radio Taiwan International. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again next time. I'm Natalie So. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also, visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.